0: A happy New Year! Happy 2014! It's great to see everybody. Does anybody know what the number one New Year's resolution is? Does anybody, you know, according to polls, right? Lose weight? You all look good. You don't need to lose any weight, so good for you. So anybody know what the number two most popular New Year's resolution is? Go to church? <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> but that is not the second most popular New Years resolution. Anybody want to guess? Come on, man. what do we love? What do we love? Money, money. Number two, most popular New Year's resolution is I want more money. More money. Could you say that with me? More money. One, two, three. More money. Just makes you feel good to say it, right? So, more money. That's the most popular, second most popular New Year's. Do you think God wants to help you achieve your New Year's resolutions? Do you think God wants to help you achieve your dreams, your goals, and stuff going to 2014? And sometimes people wonder, does God want to, you know, does He want to help? Of course, God wants to help us do that. We're going to talk about king david this morning we're talking about his beginning and so we're going to read the story of david as it begins in first samuel chapter 16 and as we do i want you to keep this in your mind this is really important david had a heart for god matter of fact he's the only person scripture said that had a heart for god david had a heart for god and because david had a heart for god david was anointed by god and because david was anointed by god david had
1: great success listen to tom as he reads the story of david all right, this is 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Thank
0: you, Tom. You recognize that voice. You can see Tom on the news tonight, Channel 7, every Sunday night. Tom Rousey, everybody. There he is. Okay. So uh, we want to talk about, yeah, big round of applause for Tom. We want to talk about having a heart for God, and here's a really cool thing, I mean, it's really cool, and it's great to think about the incredible anointing and the success that David had, but here's the thing, there is stuff that we actually have to do, and some of it can be kind of tough stuff in order to have hearts for God, like having a heart for God, you know, it doesn't just drop out of the sky like a dream t-shirt just dropped out of the sky this morning for some of you all, right? There are actually things that we got to do. It doesn't fall out of the sky, it says that David, because he had a heart for God, he was a Anointed by God. What is anointed by God? What does that mean? Here's what they did to David. David came. He was anointed. They took oil. Like this oil that's in this little vial right here. And they place it on. Now, in, in, in their case, a lot of times in the Old Testament, they put a large amount of oil sometimes. But in most cases, like we do here, we take a little tiny drop of oil and we put it on people's foreheads and we say, we anoint you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And the oil is symbolic of the presence of God. Now you read this about David over and over and over again. I, as you read through this story, you say, like, oh, okay, I get the point. I get the point. God's presence was on David. David was on. And so it, we, it just, Tom just read it because he was anointed, anointed with the oil, because he had a heart for God, God powerfully was upon him. And then we read things about David experienced tremendous success in his life because God was with him and he had a heart for God. I asked the prayer team, you know, this morning, I said, it's the, it's the first Sunday of the year, 2014. We're starting, we're talking about David, talking about his anointing, and we're going to do some very practical, very tangible things throughout this series. And today we're going to start with one of those very practical, very tangible hands-on things. See, The oil, the oil is something you can see, you can smell, and you can feel. And so the prayer team has these little vials of oil, and when the service is over, they're gonna be lined up against that wall over there. As a tangible demonstration for us that we want to have hearts for God, they're going to be there in case you'd like to go over to them and they're going to put a little drop of oil on your forehead and say, Lord, bless John in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a heart for you in 2014. And so we see that David experienced that. And so we thought that'd be a good thing for us to do as we enter into 2014 that we might be people with hearts for God, that God would help us develop hearts for him. So the prayer team's been praying about this for the past couple weeks. And they're going to be over there doing that this morning. I think it's going to be a very special time. chapter 18, verse number 14, look what it says about David. This is just one of the things that it says about him and God being upon him. And everything he did and everything David did, he had great success. Wouldn't you like that to be you with your new year's resolutions and your goals and everything he did, he had great success because The Lord was with him. Now, we gave you a magnet. It's in your uh, blue bulletin. Could you just uh, get your hands on that real quick for a second? I want to explain some things about Grace Community Church and things that are really important here. You see at the top, it says full throttle. And right underneath full throttle, what does it say? It says something that we say around here all the time. We are a church for what? for people who don't go to church, a church for people who don't go to church. That's really the heart of Grace Community Church, and it's really the heart of this message that I'm going to talk about this morning because it has so much to do with King David. You cannot be a church for people who don't go to church unless you have a heart for God. You cannot be a church for people who go to church unless you have a heart for God. It takes a heart for God to do that, and I'm going to talk a lot about that in just a second. But I want to go to these things below it. and talk about four things that grow your faith. They're really important. Because we want to help people, we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have that unless you grow your faith. You can't have a heart for God unless you grow your faith. So all of this works together. And here are four proven ways. They're practical and they're proven. They're practical and they're proven that they will grow our faith, okay? We just don't like just boom, well that person just has great faith, no, 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 no. There are four practical ways through Scripture. And life that we observed in people's lives around church that grow people's faith. And the first one is this, relevant teaching. What, what is relevant teaching? Relevant teaching is very practical to our lives. It's, it, it makes sense in our everyday lives. Jesus Christ was the master at this. He told parables. He told these stories. And people said, I can see how that relates to my life. And here's the incredible thing about Jesus. Jesus' message was to people. Jesus' message was to people. Jesus' message wasn't to the spiritually advanced or the spiritually immature. Jesus didn't focus on either one of those groups. That wasn't his focus. His focus was people. And so when he gave his message, somebody go, Oh man, you know, I got to go to a place that, man, I got to get, I got to have that spiritually advanced stuff, you know, stuff that people who don't know the Bible, like they have no idea what's going on. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus talked to people. He gave very deep teaching in a practical way and that made it relevant he also did it in a way that was not condescending and we feel like this is really really important jesus is our example of this and so our desire is to go through the bible and talk about principles that we see in the bible but in a very relevant way that's practical and applicable to our lives Every single day. Relevant teaching. And so, I would suggest, just maybe as a good New Year, somebody over here mentioned a New Year's resolution being attending church. I'll second that motion. If you want to grow your faith in 2014, if you want to accelerate your life, attend church regularly. It's a good thing to put down. It just grows your faith. It's one of the things practically we do that grows our faith. Second thing is this. Can you say it with me? Number two, spiritual practices. What's a spiritual practice? It's when you pray. It's when you pray. It's when you give it's when uh you read your bible a secular research firm a secular not a christian a secular research firm did a big study on spiritual growth and what causes somebody to grow their faith and you know what they came back with they said the number one way that somebody grows their faith is when they open up their bible and they read and they study their bible That is them and their bible it's a catalyst it's the number one catalyst to earn your faith Spiritual practice, very practical, something all of us have to do, and we take we cut out the time we want to do it. But we might not need to make a change in 2014. We might need to make a change in 2014 in order for that to be accomplished. Nothing's just gonna happen. It's not gonna fall out of the sky on us. It's a spiritual practice. The third thing is this. What does it say? Life changing relationships, life-changing relationships. So what is that? You read all throughout the Bible that somebody, person A meets person B, and it changes the spiritual trajectory of their lives. Jonathan meets David in this story. We'll see this in the next couple weeks. Changes the trajectory of his life. The disciples meet Jesus Christ. What does it do to them? It changes the trajectory of their lives. I have a group. I'm in a guy's group. And those guys in in that group, they don't even know it. But they have changed the trajectory of my life. Has impacted me in a very deep way. So we really encourage you to sign up in a group. Get in a group because you might meet somebody in that group that will totally change the trajectory of your 2014 life. So we highly encourage you to do that. And the last one is this. It's faith building service. Will you say number four with me? Faith building service. So it's when you serve. It's when you sign up for a team around here and you serve somehow, you serve the church in some way or you sign up for a mission team, whatever. But somehow you're serving with the church in some way to help out. It's it's really important. Now, Now, this I'm going to tell you something that's just ultra practical. It just it makes sense to me. I don't mean it to sound right here in 2014 all up in your face. The whole goal and the story that I'm getting ready to tell you right now is just ultra practical to me. It just makes sense. It jives with my brain. It's the way I think. So let me, here we go. Hypothetical story. You have a friend. You all have friends, right? No. One person has a friend. Excellent. <laughs> friendly person i'll talk to you whoever said that back over there Uh, you have a friend okay and 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 your friend your 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 friend's wife your friend's your friend's wife um is in need of something it's it's small it's not big whatever but they they need they need help doing something what i don't know what it might be right and they come to you and say hey could you could you help me your friend's wife you know could you you help me with this thing you know i got and and you say you say no you know, I don't, I don't have time, can't, whatever. And it could be, I don't know, your friend's wife is, you know, the car's broken down the side of the road, they need a tire, whatever, or they need the door to be held open for whatever. They just need something, need something simple, and you're an expert at that. And so the friend, the wife says, you know, I know you're great at this, You take you no time, you just take care of it, boom. Okay, and you say no. Now, we got that down, you said no. Now, later on, you realize you need something. And you go to your friend the friend with the wife that you said, I can't, can't do anything for you. And you need a, you need a favor from that friend. Now I want to tell you something about husbands real quick in case you're not a husband. You diss. I mean, look, a husband can diss his wife all the time, man, my old lady's killing me, whatever. All right. But you do it. You do it. You got a problem. Because he remembers a long... You just don't mess with a guy's wife. Nobody messes with a guy's wife. Ticks him off for a really long time, man. I've seen all kinds of stuff happen when somebody makes the mistake of saying something about a guy's wife. All right? So you just... i tell you right now, tread lightly. Now, you go to that friend. Hey, friend, I need a favor. And that friend... Uh, you remember my wife? Yes. you to do something? What husband here right now will please speak up and say, is that, is that person going to get a favor out of that husband? Is, anybody, is anybody, You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I just... Real quick here, in this scripture, what is the church called? The bride of Christ. Oh boy, well, we have somebody. We have a Bible man over here. The church is called the wife, the bride of Jesus Christ. At some point, think about this, everybody. Just think, really practically. Think Think this. this. You know, at some point in 2014, you're going to go to Jesus and you say, "Hey, Jesus, I need help." You know, I need help at work. I got a physical problem. I need a health problem. I got problems with my kids. I want to get married, whatever. My marriage, on? whatever. You're going to go, Jesus, I need help. Well, what if you haven't? What if you haven't? It just, so practically for me, I just think about, man, I, I want to I want to serve. I want to serve because I don't want to do anything to pick, you know, take off my big miracle working friend up in the sky. So I just think about that. I don't know if that helps you, but that's kind of, that kind of helps me as I think about this whole thing um, with faith building service. So there are the four things, but, and we're going to talk about those in the weeks to come. We're we'll going to talk a lot about them, but what I really want to talk to you about this morning is the heart of grace. And that is at the top of this magnet right here where it says we're a church for people don't go to church. And you cannot be, I can't say this enough, you cannot be a church for people who don't go to church unless you have a heart for God. It takes a heart for God. It really does. And so I want to look at this. How do we develop a heart for God? And since David had a heart for God... How did he get that way? So the first fill in the blank, if you want to fill in is you got to give God your best. So as you read through the story, what you'll pick up on is it doesn't say, hey, David had a heart for God because he X, Y, and Z. No, you don't get that. But what you do get is you get this juxtaposition of David with Saul. And as you look at that relationship between David and Saul, you realize, ah, I see some stuff that David is doing that Saul's not and vice versa. Some stuff that Saul is doing and David is not. And then you begin to get a framework of what it means to have a heart for God. So, what's one of the first things we learn about, you know, about Saul in First Samuel 15? We're told that Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, tells Saul, "Hey, Saul, I want you to go. You're going to have a battle. You got this big old battle and fight. And after the fight is over, don't take any of the plunder, right? And the plunder—that's how they would, they would just get all kinds of riches after the battle. They take this booty." I know we call booty something else today, but that's what, whatever they called it back then. Don't take, don't take any of it. Give it all, right, back to God. And so Samuel shows up and he sees all this incredible looking plunder all over the place. And he says to Saul, hey, what gives? And Saul says what? First Samuel 15, he says, I kept the best part. I kept the best part. And what you see in the life of David is David is always giving the best part and Saul is keeping the best part. In scripture, the best part is always the first part. It's always the first part because the first part always is the part that takes the great faith. And so you put God first. So New Year's resolution, right? My number one goal, I'm just really practical. My number one goal is to lose weight and do all these other things, get a dream house, get a dream date, get a dream marriage, get a dream salary, right? All those things. Now, Biblically speaking, here is really practical. It would be number one thing, would to put, uh, number one thing I want is I want to grow spiritually. Because once you give God the first, once you put God first, rather than putting last. You know, I've been talking about this Bono quote, you know, forever. You know what Bono says? Quit asking God to bless what you're doing. Instead, get a part of what God, see. become a part of what God is blessing and do that. That's what Bono Lead singer, you too, is saying. Same thing. It's the same principle. You find that principle from Genesis to Revelation about giving God the first and giving Him the best. And when you do that with your plans, with your day, with your week, With your week, today's Sunday, the first day in the week when you do that. So you've already done that. You're here. Good for you. That's awesome. When you do that, that, you do that with your money. When you do that with your money, God says some really radically ridiculous things in Scripture. Ridiculous things. He says, if you'll give me the first part, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, you won't be able to contain it. Really? Is it that simple? That's all I got to do. I tell you what, I forget to do that all the time. I've shared my struggles about that before. I forget to do that all the time, give God the first part of my day. I won't, I won't do that. But this is really practical. isn't it? If you'll give God the first part, God will bless the rest. And it's amazing what God will do in our lives. So uh, give God the best. Now, here's a second way that we develop hearts for God by getting a new OS. What's an OS? Operating system. This operating system I want to talk to you all about here is so ingrained into us. It's so much a part of us, the way that we look at life and the way we approach spirituality. But we've got to get a new operating system. And Samuel, the man of God, like the most spiritual man in the land, had the wrong operating system. And God calls him. And so if he has the wrong operating system, what does that mean for me? That means I've got the wrong operating system, that I would do the exact same, I would make the exact same mistake that Samuel makes. So here we go. Verse number five, Samuel shows up in Bethlehem, the same town that Jesus Christ is born. And he shows up and in verse number five, he goes to Jesse, Jesse, I want to consecrate you, dedicate you, set apart you and all of your sons. And so at that point, uh, Samuel meets little David. He's the eighth son. He meets him in verse number five. And he says, we're going to have this big banquet like it's in, going to be in Christ. like... You gotta understand, Samuel, right back then, like he had been the man. I mean, King Saul is in place now, but before Saul came around, the king, it was it was Samuel, the prophet, the man of God. He kind of ran the whole country. I mean, it was it was definitely a theocracy, okay? Until you had King Saul get in place, and so he is really so. It's, this is like the president coming to town. He said, "We're gonna have this big banquet, mean this royal presidential banquet ball. Everybody's gonna get dressed up in their tuxes and their and their royal gowns and stuff like that. You come to this big banquet." That's what's going on. And so after he consecrates David and the other brothers, Jesse pulls David aside, obviously, and he says that look, you know, we're having this special spiritual time. There's no reason for you to show up. You know, little fella, heart for God, right? He doesn't see that. There's There's no reason for you, you know, to show up. You don't you don't have to be here. And so I just need you to go out and take care of the sheep. Now, what gets really interesting is David is the son of Jesse, and the name Jesse means man, so David is the son of man. What was Jesus' most famous? Does anybody know this? Any Bible thumpers know what Jesus' most famous title that he would call himself? He called himself the son of what? Son of man. David's the son of man. (laughs) Jesus, son of man. And so now you've, got, now you've got David going out into the fields of Bethlehem and he's with the sheep while the big royal party is going on with all the spiritual people over here. And so where was Jesus Christ when he was born? He was born with who? Who was there? The sheep were there. Do you get in the connections? You can't understand. You cannot understand Jesus Christ unless you understand King David and you understand the connections are amazing. They're all over the place. I've just given you a couple. There's hundreds of them. They're all over the place. Jesus Christ takes the throne of King David and so they're both out with the sheep. Now here's where it gets really interesting. So they have this big royal hoedown, right? And just, so, so Jesse begins to have his sons pass before the man of God, Samuel. And when... Samuel sees the first son. He's like, Whoa! This, this is it. This guy is it. Now, now stop for a second. You, you understand what's going on here. All right? What's, this is a spiritual fashion show. Let I me. Mean, what the oldest son is doing before the man of God, I mean, what are you going to do before him? You're going to do arithmetic for him or something like that? I mean, you're not like going to do computer science. The man of God's here because you're there to strut your spiritual stuff in front of him. Look at me. And Samuel says, whoa, man, I like the way this guy walks. I like the way he talks. I like what he does. I like his habits. I like the way he votes. This must be The man of God. This is the one that is the anointed person of God and he rises up and God says, Whoa, boy, sit down. He's not it. And if he, if Samuel, the man of God, would make that mistake, well, where does that leave you and me? If Samuel needs a new operating system, where does that leave you and I? He has to get a new operating system. So God tells him, sit sit down. He's not the one. The amazing thing here, everybody, this is amazing. When people don't challenge our beliefs, we think that God has just showed up. When people don't challenge our beliefs, we think that God showed up. So, so when the oldest son comes before him, Sam was like, yep, that's everything I believe a spiritual person should look like and do. That's everything. And I must be right. And so he says, surely, he just says, he gets, there's exclamation points in this text. He's like, surely God's anointed is here. When somebody doesn't challenge anything, it's like, oh, yep, that's everything I think it would be. We're like, okay, well, God's here. God is now in the room. And not only that, that God says to Samuel, okay, sit down, he's not the right one. This happens over and over and over again in the text. And finally, God says in verse number seven, God says to Samuel, "says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord does what? Where's God look? God looks at the heart. So this goes on, and finally they get to number seven, and God says about number seven, nope, that's not the one either. And so Samuel says to Jesse, he says, Jesse, I remember back in verse number five that we consecrated eight sons. I can't remember all their names. you got too many sons. I can't quite keep up with all their names, Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, all these guys. But it seemed like there was an eighth son. And Jesse says, yep, 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 there was an eighth son. Well, where is he? Well, he's David, and he's the youngest of them all. Now, here's what you need to know about the Hebrew word youngest. It doesn't just mean youngest in age. It means the most inconsequential. Like, I want to introduce you to the most insignificant spiritual person in my entire family, and his name is David. Like, you don't even need to waste any time. So, in other words, his own father is passing him over. He's passed over by his father. Has anybody ever passed over you? You ever been passed over by a father? You ever been passed over by a grandfather? You ever been passed over by a mother, a grandmother, aunt, uncle, family member been passed over? How about a boss? Has a boss ever passed you over? You ever been passed over for a promotion? You ever been passed over for a marriage proposal? You ever been passed over? David's passed over. If you've been passed over, you have something very in common with David. Now, here's the thing that you really need to know is David put God first. David had a heart for God. He put God first. He operated on, different, on a different system than anybody else We're told about in the scripture, had told a total different system. And here's what you need to know. When you put God first, even though others might put you last, God will put you first. When you put God first, even though others might pass you over and put you last, God will put you first, and God raises David up. And so when David walks into the room, God says to Samuel, get up, get up. Here is God's anointed stand up. Now, you've got to imagine how embarrassing this whole situation must have been for David. Look, um, this, this is a spiritual banquet. It's a big spiritual So it's like, the, it's like the church dinner. You ever been to a big church dinner before? And so they're supposed to eat dinner at 6 o'clock, and at 7 o'clock they still haven't eaten. You know how restless church people get when, they, when it's like an hour past you know, go time on the buffet? Right? It's, it's very, very, very restless. And so we're told that Samuel not only wouldn't let them eat, he wouldn't let them sit down. So he has everybody standing, and they're waiting for David. And when he comes running in, is he in a tuxedo and looking good? No, he's not in a tuxedo looking good. He just came from hanging out with the sheep. He's sweating. He doesn't smell right. He doesn't look right. Nothing about him spiritually makes sense because this is a spiritual event. Nothing about it makes sense. What do you do when something doesn't make sense to you spiritually? Nothing makes sense spiritually, and God says, rise up. He's the man. We're going to anoint him. So here he comes running in to be anointed by God. Now, I want to stop real quick, I want to tell you something that we went through 13 years ago as a church that has so much to do with being a church for people who don't go to church and about developing a heart for God. Uh, Grace Community Church began 13 years ago. 13 years ago, Christmas Eve, the year 2000, we began. And we started right in Clarendon at a place that is now called Liberty Tavern. Anybody ever eaten at Liberty Tavern at Clarendon? I hear they got really great food. Did you know that used to be a Mason's Lodge? Did you know that was an old, broken down Mason's Lodge? Did you realize that? And that's where Grace Community Church began. In the fellowship hall of this old, dusty, dirty, broken down Mason's Lodge. And we met in their little fellowship hall. You couldn't go through the front door, you know, how you get in Liberty Tavern tavern now, walked through the front. You couldn't get in. There's a side door you get in. That's the door we had to enter into. I remember Maureen Pan, who was there the first day, she said, I thought I was walking into a tool shed. And so that's how Grace Community Church began in this little tool shed, old broken down place. And when you walked in to get to the fellowship hall, you had to squeeze in between a stairwell that took you upstairs and an HVAC system was on this side right here. It was a very narrow space and they were redoing their bathrooms. They didn't tell us they were redoing their bathrooms. They didn't inform us of that. And you know, they didn't have to because they were giving us the place for free on Sunday morning. So when you give somebody something for free, you know, there's no, there's no nothing fine print to sign, right? And so we walked in and, and so we got the stairwell, we got HVAC system, and now we have the toilet. Now, Christmas Eve of 2000, be- decorated beautifully. I mean, you look at this place here now, it's, it's wonderful. And what you walked into there 13 years ago was a toilet. That's what you walked into. And since it was Christmas Eve, my wife took a red poinsettia and she put it down into the toilet bowl to make it look nice. And that's how Grace Community Church began. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Isn't it? Embarrassing. I don't know if you know much about Masons. I know absolutely nothing about Masons. But when I told other church people, when I told other spiritual people that we were meeting the Masons Lodge, I quickly found out that the Masons were a cult. Right. I didn't know that but gosh I learned that real quick you're meeting where what's wrong you don't know those people are cult they worship demons I don't know if you're a mason I'm sorry I'm not saying this I'm just telling you what other people told me Okay? I just knew that we were all wrong I'll tell you what we did have I'll tell you what we did have in the second floor of the mason's lodge was a big blue room I don't get it I don't understand it I poked my head in there one time I didn't know if I had to go to an exorcist after it was over What? I don't know but there's icons everywhere I didn't understand it and at the end, at the end of this long blue room was a big old eyeball coming out of the wall, man. It like freaked me out. And so we met downstairs, and we had there was very few of us when we began, right? So we met we met downstairs, and I didn't want the kids going in the blue room. You, you, you know, I I didn't know, I just didn't know. So I so I was like, don't let the kids go in the blue room. So they met in a hallway. Like, how good is it for the kids to meet next to the stairs? I mean, it was terrible, but you know, that's where we were. That's how we started out, and it was really embarrassing. And after a while, you know, people like, "Where do you meet?" I said, "Oh, you know, somewhere in Clarendon." But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because it was just, it just wasn't cool. And so, um, you know, we were a number of months into this thing, and a guy called me from another church. He said, "Hey, let's meet for a burger at Whitlow's." Y'all know Whitlow's on Wilson. He says, "Let's meet there for a burger." I said, "Great." Let's go. And he had just planted a church. And so we got there, and we sat down, and I just said, hey, how's it going? And I'm telling you, man, for an hour straight, it just rolled out of him. He just told me of all this incredible stuff. I felt so terrible. The more he talked, I'm sitting in the booth there at Whitlow's, and I just felt like I was sinking lower and lower, you know, by the, t- by, by the time he was done, I could barely see him. Right. And so he's telling me, man, we got this awesome office. We got this website, man. We got a plan. We got support. We launched with 200 people. And he was telling, I was like, I felt so terrible. I was so embarrassed about us. And I'm just, Oh my gosh. And so finally he said, he looked at me, he said, after an hour, he says, so tell me about you. What are you doing? What's your plan? Tell me all about it. Where are you meeting? uh, Well, we got this blue room with this big eyeball (laughs) sticking out the wall. You know, Um, what what are you trying to do? I I don't know what we're trying to do. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have an office. We didn't have a website. We didn't have vision. We didn't have mission. We didn't have any of that stuff. What we got is a blue room. That's all we've got. Two really uh, critical uh, things happened along the way. Uh, I'll tell you about two of them, and then we'll end this thing. So here, here's what happened. Um, the little group of us that, you know, we're doing this thing called Grace Community Church. One of the things we agreed upon is we we're going to put God first. So we've never taken an offering. We've always just had boxes, or whatever that you know people. it so we said we're going to do this. As a church, we we're going to be tithers as a church, not you putting money in the box the church as a community as a group was going to just pray and, and give it bare minimum 10% away we were going to give it away and we're just going to say hey god whatever and man it was very little to give away but anyway we're just so we we're, we're doing that we're 18 months into it and i, I remember praying i was it was one morning and um, i kept getting these magazines about doing church mailers these little postcard things i got them just constantly I mean, the marketing company did a great job of marketing me. Like every three days, here they came in, and I didn't believe in it. I just threw them away, threw them away. And one day, I was praying, and for some reason, I let it sit on the table in front of me. And I was praying. It's like it was screaming. I'm, it was so irritating to me. I I don't think I've quite felt something like that, you know, uh, before. And it was just like screaming at me. And finally, man, I picked that I picked that magazine up, and I said, "God, you want us to do a mailer? Ten thousand dollars in cash is what I need." And I threw the thing away. I said, "That's it." You know, you give God an impossible task, and then you're off the hook. So that's what I felt. That you know, we're okay. We're it's not gonna. So I go home that night. I'll never forget. I was on the cordless phone. I was standing. I was I was standing. No phones are corded anymore. Why did I say that? So uh, I'm standing in the bedroom. I'm standing in the bedroom, and I get this phone call. And this lady that we have known from years ago, she had her career in D.C. and she's retired and she's living up in the mountains of West Virginia, someplace. She said, "Hey, uh, John, I got ten thousand dollars of stock I want to give the church." Now I just prayed that prayer that morning, and this—I've never—I well, didn't ask for a million bucks, you know. Hindsight's <laughs> twenty-twenty. So, uh, you know, I, are you serious? Yes. <clears throat> okay. So now we know we're going to do a mailer. Now we got one big problem. We have no idea what we're going to put on the mailer because we don't know what we're doing, right? I don't know what we're about. What's the plan? God, what is... Shh, okay. So I, about that same time, I was scheduled to go to a conference, a church conference out in California, and I go to the conference, and man, you hear all these incredible things that churches are doing, and you just walk away feeling completely terrible because you're not doing any of those things, and so I'm coming back, and, ah, spiritually embarrassed, and you know, all that kind of depressed, and it's come, I'm on this big DC 10 it's a daytime flight, right? And you know how those, they have like the three different compartments, so the fr- I never sit in the front section, that's where the rich folks sit, so I'm never up there, uh, and I was in the middle, so I was in the back section. And it's the weirdest thing, it was a DC 10, so it was, it was the five seats in the middle, right? And the two on the other side. So I'm in the middle, the middle, middle of the whole thing. I'm in the middle of the section in the middle seat. And we're flying back. And it wasn't to an hour into the flight, because I was so engrossed in thoughts that I finally poked my head up around the seats. And I looked around. There's nobody in my section. There's nobody. And the flight attendant on a daytime flight turns the lights out. I thought, oh my gosh. I'm looking, there's nobody here. Did the rapture take place? Is everybody gone? I haven't read the left behind books. I have no clue what I'm supposed to do now, right? You know, I'm just like, I'm all on my own, you know? So I just said, God, this is really depressing. I said, could you please tell me what is this church supposed to be? And here it comes like a lightning bolt. Because I want you to be a church for people who don't go to church. That's what I want you to do. I so, said, wow, what is that? Well, in order to be that church for people who don't go to church, you need to have a heart for God, and you got to stop looking at the surface. You can't be a spiritual fashion show. I felt like God saying, you know, John, there's going to be all kinds of people who will end up at one point or another coming into grace, and it's going to stretch you. It's going to challenge you. I've been in church all my life, all my life. I got a bachelor's degree in pastoral studies, I got a master's in divinity. I've been in the ministry 28 years. I know how to do church. You know how to do church? You stand up here and you tell a congregation of people, you tell them stuff they already agree with and they think God just showed up. I'm going to say it again. You tell a group of people stuff they already agree with and they say, praise God, God is here. That's what Samuel did. He said, oh my gosh. God's anointed has just walked into the room. He's everything that I agree with. David challenged everything about Samuel. And it's been really, really challenging. I want to end by by reading a verse to you that I think is really important about us developing hearts for God and will have a big impact upon our lives as individuals and as a church. It's from the book of James. I think it's awesome. It says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks at his face in a mirror. I'm going to stop right there. You know what it says? It says that the Bible, the Bible, when we open it up, is what? What is it? A mirror. A mirror. So what was Samuel doing, and what is the operating system that all of us just tend to function with? I do. The Bible is a window we're running windows right do you like running windows we run windows all the time run windows and we look at people through this window and we say hmm okay i like what i see that's good you're spiritual you got a heart for god we look through the window and then when we see somebody that we don't like we don't think they have a heart for God. We say, oh, I don't, I don't like that. Doesn't agree with me. You say, mm, not, that's not good. We're like the spiritual TSA, right? We're just, we're, just, we're just looking all of it. But what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to run mirrors. Jesus Christ says, I'm building my church. He's building a church of mirrors, not windows, Instead, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at this and say, God, search my heart. Now, here's where it gets fascinating with King Saul and with King David. Here's where it gets really fascinating. What you'll see in the story of Saul and David is that Saul is always searching for someone else. He's always searching for David because he judges David as a person that should not live. He's like, this guy is no good. I got to get rid of this guy. And he's looking at him through a window. Now, David, how do you think he would respond? It would only be appropriate for somebody who's being so mistreated as David was mistreated to look back at Saul and say, I judge you. But he doesn't instead he writes in the 139th psalm he says almighty god has searched me and has known me he knows everything about me and then you know what he says at the end of that psalm after he's already said god has searched me he says oh god please search me please search me and know me and know everything about me you want to develop a heart for god the cry of your heart should be god search me not god search them God search me. Imagine for a second, everybody, if this entire church for all of 2014, that the cry of our hearts were, God search me. If we did that, we would develop a heart for God. Because David had a heart for God, David was anointed by God. And because David was anointed by God, David was met with great success. Because why? Because the presence of God was upon him. The presence of God was upon him. Now we're going to conclude with this. Prayer team's been praying about this for the last two weeks. They're going to be over against this wall. I can't think of a better way to get our, to get our year started. And they're simply going to pray. A little drop of oil. I anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. May John have a heart for you in 2014. And they're going to be right here on this wall doing this. It's very tangible. It's very practical, and it's a demonstration that each one of us has a choice whether or not we'd like to make. You know what? I want to say, I would demonstrate, I want to do that. I want to be anointed by God, and they're going to be there, and we're going to do Grace and Five over here if you're, if you're a guest, and if you would like to go to both, don't worry about it. The team's going to be over here for 15 or 20 minutes praying. I think one of the greatest things that we could do in 2014 is develop hearts for God. Just think of a whole group of people developed a heart for God. Think about God's presence resting upon us in an amazing and a real way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here this morning. I thank you, God, for your hand upon every person's life that you have brought all of us into this room together this morning. Lord, what a challenging message from King David. That he had a heart for you. That's amazing to think that he had a heart for you. God, that's just not going to happen. We're not going to stumble into having hearts for you. But God, we're actually going to have to do stuff. And Lord, help us to be able to to work up the courage, to have the passion in our own hearts, to want to do what we need to do so that you can do what you want to do in our lives. God, bless each person. May your hand rest upon each person, God. In Christ's holy name, amen. God bless you. so wonderful to see you today.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.